You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Our football players want to play. The coaches want to coach. We want to play football this year at the University of Nebraska. Huge news. Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren releasing an open letter to the conference community stating the vote by the Big Ten's Council of Presidents and Chancellors was, quote, overwhelmingly in support of postponing fall sports. And here's the most important part. Will not be revisited. Those words were in the statement. But Kevin Warren also said that if he had to go back and do it again, they would make the same decision. They would postpone fall sports because it's in the best interest of the student athletes. And again, he, he says the most important words in the entire thing will not be revisited. So whatever glimmer of hope people had watching Justin Fields and whatever else it is, he clearly closes the door on that. I'm excited it's here. There, there's been a lot of times when we thought we were fighting a losing battle to get football, to have football. We didn't know if we were practicing for a reason or not, if we were ever going to play, or if we were just out there practicing for, for nothing, with nothing to look forward to. It's been a battle. Like I just uh, said, I think Ohio State is probably the ones that led the battle. We've certainly been in lockstep with them to try to get football back. So I'm going to root for them in every single game except this first one because I'm grateful to them for um, going shoulder and shoulder and fighting to get this back. Uh, our kids are excited to play. We're excited to play. There's There's been a lot of moments where I didn't think we'd get here, uh, but now that we're here, uh, I think playing football was the right thing to do, and, and we're excited to be a part of it. And let's go, guys. Husker football back in Columbus, Ohio, Saturday. Sean Callahan, Ron Washett, Nate Klaus. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. <laughs> Almost get goosebumps, Robin, as, as you hear just, just the mess that the last – two months have been for the Big Ten and Mike Greenberg overemphasizing how the decision was not going to be revisited and we know what, how it all played out in the end. Um, and Nebraska now goes on the road and uh, there'll be very few people there to see it. I think eight Nebraska media members are going out there and Ohio State's going to limit their press box to 30. Uh, then other than that, Nebraska will have a fan list or a player list of 400 people in the stadium on their side and whatever Ohio State has on there. So it's going to be interesting uh, going out to Columbus, but we have football, and I think that's where we have to start is, hey, we're going to get our first chance to see Nebraska play a football game in close to a year. Yeah, and that's really all that matters. Uh, you go back to uh, when that news broke that they were going to postpone the season and it would not be revisited. You know, People were like, well, this is going to be the longest, darkest winter of our lives and now <laughs> uh even though it's been the longest off season uh of of anything that we've experienced there's football again and they will be playing football even though there's nobody in the stands uh you got to take it for what it is and, and enjoy the heck out of it yeah there's no absolutely no reason to complain about the circumstances or anything that surround the season just be happy that we actually have one right now i think that uh um, you know, it's been kind of frustrating watching college football over these last few weeks without the Big Ten playing. So, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to, to having things be back as close to normal as possible. Can you imagine Fox right now? I mean, compared to the last few weeks, I mean, the Fox has only had the Big 12 as a Power 5 partner. Well, last week, the Big 12 had just two games scheduled. One got canceled for COVID. So the only game Fox could air last week was West Virginia, Kansas. <laughs> And that was the Joel. That was the that was the Joel Clatt Gus Johnson game. Uh, they announced a you know West Virginia Kansas game, and uh, Fox just has to be jumping through the roof right now to to get to air a slate of Big Ten games and ESPN and ABC as well. They're part of the package, um, but yeah, the television games have just felt so incomplete. 
I try to get it. I mean, I watch it. I try to get it. it what's been strange is not having that late night game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the usually twelve. Usually, late, you kind of yeah. get the Pac-12 like twelve after dark. Exactly. Put the kids to bed nine o'clock game, and you know, you get USC or Stanford or somebody that you want to kind of watch. And we just haven't had. Any, I mean, we don't even get like Hawaii right now, and that's been kind of hard to. Uh, and we'll start to get some of that back here this week. Well, there's a reason Fox has been promoting Nebraska Ohio State like, like it's every the Super commercial Bowl. break. Yeah, <laughs> I mean they are talking about that game uh, as if this is like the feather in their cap for the year and just understandably so i mean the big 10 market is different i mean it's probably right up there with the sec in terms of television viewers and especially after what this league and their fan bases have gone through uh, i mean there's going to be more eyeballs on a season opener for this game you know regardless of the opponent but the fact that it is Nebraska and Ohio State, uh, you know, two of the biggest names and two of the loudest voices throughout this process going at it. I mean, that's that is a dream scenario for Fox. I guarantee you that. Yeah, I'm really interested to, to hear what kind of numbers the this game polls. I mean, uh, there's a lot made out of the uh, the Alabama Georgia game, you know, and, and I'm not expecting those types of numbers to be polled. But I, I do think that for, you know, for uh, Ohio State and, and Nebraska for as as uh, irrelevant uh, as Nebraska has been on the national stage, at least uh, in terms of football over the last handful of years, uh, you know, in terms of win loss record, I think this game has a chance to, to pull pretty big numbers. Well, two years ago, Nebraska and Ohio State played an 11 a.m. game in Columbus, and that was before big noon kickoff became a thing. But it was basically the numbers of ratings that that game polled that led Big Noon, you know, kind of pushed the ball over that Fox kind of reshifted their whole focus. And instead of making the 2.30 or the 7 o'clock game their main game, they're like, you know what, we're not going to try to compete with Notre Dame at 1.30. We're not going to try to compete with the 2.30 SEC um, CBS spot and the the night spot. We're going to put our best game at noon or 11 a.m. here. And that, that, that kind of led to things because that game where Nebraska almost won two years ago in Columbus, that was the highest rated game of the day. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to do that early. In the no day. question. And so it makes sense, though, because like think about all the times you watch college game day and, you know, the show ends and then you just roll right into like Iowa, Wisconsin or something like that. Pam Ward yeah. wakes you up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so now, I mean, they capitalized on that that rollover audience and put their marquee game it makes total sense they're going to do a live show from the horseshoe or at least outside the horseshoe uh to really pump that thing up Uh, you know obviously the you know urban meyer being on there i mean that's going to be a huge draw that will naturally just transition straight into kickoff so yeah i think that number is going to be through the roof yeah well i'll be watching well i I think the intrigue in the other leagues is kind of gone already i mean the big 12's out of it We, we know the acc is setting up for a clemson notre dame probably two-part series they're going to play in the regular season. They're going to play in the championship game. And then in the SEC, Alabama took care of Georgia. And that 5'11 quarterback for Georgia, I just don't see them being a playoff team with basically a walk-on guy at quarterback right now. So I think we almost know what the other three Power 5 leagues are. And I think with the Big Ten now, there's a lot of intrigue to see Penn State, to see Ohio State, to see Nebraska, to see Iowa, to see Wisconsin, to see Minnesota. I mean, I just think – We've already figured out the other leagues in the last six or seven weeks, and now the Big Ten, we're going to get a really good look. And then another week or two, we'll see the Pac-12. And by the way, Pac-12 is going to play, they're they're talking about playing Arizona State-USC as a big noon kickoff, which would be a 9 a.m. kick. Um, But Colorado and Nebraska used to kick off at 10 a.m. in Boulder. Yeah, I remember that. And that game was so early, you could take a flight home after you got on working. Um, So it's been done in the mountain time zone. But yeah, the 9 a.m. kick with no fans. 
Uh, but yeah, I'm intrigued just to see this league after getting a better feel for the other leagues. Yeah, and I think maybe uh, the fact that the Big Ten and all their coaching staffs have been able to sit back and see what other teams have had to go through during these first few games back, you know, maybe that'll make Big Ten football be a little bit more uh, able to hit the ground running than some other leagues. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, the way that uh, everything has kind of come together um, from everything – that uh, the Big Ten has probably been able to to learn from you know from seeing these, some of these other teams and, and conferences play. I, I'm, I'm eager to see you know just how much that kind of impacts the product that we see uh, here this starting this weekend. Well, we heard from Scott Frost on Thursday um, as Nebraska travels out to travel out to Columbus on Friday. So uh, we're going to get you ready for this matchup. What to expect? I'll be out in Columbus as well. Uh, covering the game for Husker Online. So um, lots to talk about here in the show as uh, we'll, we'll get you ready to go for Saturday and we'll talk some offensive storylines next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I mean, I've seen a lot from Luke and uh, Adrian this past, these past, I mean, few months practicing. Just they just been like, unbelievable to me you know I, I i like i say when i see both of them run i mean because they both they both meet the starting quarterbacks you know so it's like now look at them it's like hey it doesn't really matter you know i i take both of y'all in the game you know what i mean and either way i it'll make it'll make my job a lot easier but at the same time i rather for them just continue to focus on what they got to do and i'm the running back and let me run and we're back here on the Husker Online Show. That was running back Dedrick Mills talking about the quarterback situation between Adrian Martinez and Luke McCaffrey. This segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by our friends at Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill. If you are looking for a place to watch the game here in Lincoln, doors open at 9 a.m. at Tanner's. They've got socially distant seating for around 200 people in there. They're going to have, listen to this, Robin, 25-cent beers from 9 to 11 a.m., um, oh boy! To get in there early, and these aren't just like little twelve ounce pours; they're the tw- the bigger plastic tanner cups. So twenty five cents. Twenty five cents. So I better not see you there watching the game, man. Oh um, man, yeah, I won't be in Columbus. I need a place to watch the game, so uh, maybe, maybe Tanner's the spot, Nate. We were just in there for a remote <laughs> at one of our affiliates here this week, and so that that will be a great spot to go in and check out our friends at Tanner's. But guys, let's get right to the news. I want to talk about Omar Manning, but let's talk about the quarterback race. Nobody's surprised Adrian Martinez is the starter. I think we all assume that. Um, I think what we're going to be most intrigued in is what kind of leash will Martinez have? And if, you know, I don't expect them to switch off series or anything crazy like that, but what kind of maybe play designs and packages could they have for Luke McCaffrey? You know, I would expect them to try to, I would hope, they would try to get him involved in more than just these little specialty package plays like they did a year ago. Uh, If he is, in fact, that close to Adrian Martinez where the only separation was the fact that Adrian started 21 games and Luke hasn't started any, uh, give him a shot. See what he can do. Uh, And With all the praise from coaches and players alike about how well – Luke McCaffrey has progressed uh, from the end of last season to this to the start of this season. Uh, I think he he deserves the opportunity to showcase himself beyond just being a, a gadget guy. You know, let him run a real drive in a meaningful situation and just see where he is against probably the best defense Nebraska is going to see all year. Yeah, that's totally my stance too. I mean, if experience is the main factor 
um, you know, determining who your starter is. What's your, I guess, what's your plan to, to get Luke more experience? Um, you know, is it going to be you mixing him in to a series or two throughout the game? Or, um, or is it having a shorter leash on what Adrian is doing? Uh, you know, if, if there is a rough patch or if he, if he's not taking care of the football or if he is, if he is missing reads or whatever. So, uh, I'm really interested to see, you know, exactly how they handle that. Um, but it's been made obviously clear from everybody that, uh, that this is, you know, was a legitimate race and that, uh, they are very, very close. And you know, what really scares me about this long term is the one time transfer rule. I mean, if, if McCaffrey, <laughs> shows that he could start for a lot of different teams. But, you know, Martinez technically now has two more years left after this year based on the eligibility rules, um, depending on how he wants to handle it. Um, that that whole thing is going to be interesting to follow because if, if a guy like that can be immediately eligible, just like a lot of other players will be. And I, does that start in January? I believe so. Or is, yeah. it, Jan, is it January of 21? I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. I mean, we're man, we're going to be busy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, that's going to make the idea of keeping two, as they say, co-number one starters, that's going to be darn near impossible because what guy is going to want to sit uh, and be just a situational backup for another two years when he could go be a starter somewhere else? Look at Noah Vedrill. I mean, he was uh, a true backup, and now he is a projected starter potentially. Yeah, they, they, they haven't named him yeah, yet, I don't which think is kind of so. surprising. And it sounds like that that might not happen now i don't know anyway but oh he's not gonna be the starter. well there was some conversations about so i saw it on rss but anyway uh there's that just shows you that i mean the opportunity is endless where you know if it's not happening at your school you can find somewhere where you will be the starter from day one with this one-time transfer rule i mean obviously that's going to open the floodgates so it's managing this type of situation is probably going to be a thing of the past come 2021. Well, yeah, especially with there being no penalty, you know, for for wanting to transfer. That I think that used to stop a lot of people uh from doing that, from from exploring their options and uh you know the the uh needing to or having to sit out an entire year and, and basically pausing your your career for a whole another year, I think did stop a lot of people and um you know, and the other aspect of this deal is and something I used to point to is the fact that Dylan McCaffrey, Luke's older brother, um, kind of, you know, he, he was patient and waited for his time in Ann Arbor uh, under Harbaugh uh, up until this past year and when he entered the transfer portal. So, you know, I think once you have a brother who's, who's kind of done the same thing, who plays the same position as you, and, you know, all bets are off. So it is, it's going to be really, really interesting to see how Nebraska handles this, especially since they've got another young guy coming up in Logan Smothers that I know has done very well for being a true freshman as well. Yeah, this whole transfer thing could get really, really messy. I'm still confused why Dylan McCaffrey transferred, knowing that 2020 doesn't count, and in January you can be transferring immediately anyway. So just did he get an indication from Jim Harbaugh that he was not going to play at all this year? I mean, something had to have happened that let him out the door so quickly. Yeah, you'd imagine there's more to that story, and generally, especially in a circumstance like that where – on the surface, you can't find any real, like, glaring reasons why. Uh, usually, there's there's more behind the scenes that we don't know about. Yeah, there's probably there had to be more going on, and and I'm sure that when he looked at it, he he figured he could go somewhere and start to to you know put roots down and and become the guy for for when it did count. Listening here to the Husker Online Show, and and speaking of more to the story, guys, Omar Manning, the wide receiver uh, from the junior college ranks, the number one ranked offensive junior college player in the country 
Um, lots of questions about him. Uh, I know we don't expect him to be in Columbus playing for Nebraska this weekend. Scott Frost didn't officially say that on Thursday, um, but you just get the indication he's not quite there yet. But it, it just leads to a lot of question, a lot of debate. Long term, uh, all the JUCO guys Nebraska brought in, uh, they didn't get a spring. They didn't get a traditional fall camp, but really none of the JUCO guys are, are going to be starters this year. None of them are. Um, so it just makes you wonder on long term, you know, will Nebraska keep going that route? Um, you know, they had to fill some long term holes, but you hope Omar Manning will be on the field. I think he will be on the field at some point this year. Uh, but obviously right now, Rob, and he's dealing with some stuff. Well, I don't think talent is at all in the conversation here. It's a matter of, you know, where Omar is both uh, injury wise and, and probably between the ears. I mean, it seems like he's been going through through some personal stuff as well as being nicked up a little bit. And that's just kept him off the practice field. And if you don't practice, it's hard to count on you to go play a game, especially week one being a new guy on campus. But he's too good not to get on the field at some point. It's just a matter of, you know, will all that other stuff kind of get figured out to where he can focus just on being a part of this football team and incorporate himself in practice to get himself ready. So I'm with you. I think it's just a matter of time before he gets on the field. And I think Nebraska uh, has to figure it out. They have to find a way to get him involved. Yeah. Well, yeah. First of all, you, you have to practice to, to play um, in, in there's, I mean, he was the number one ranked junior college guy, offensive junior college guy in the country for a reason. Um, and there's no reason why he can't be the number one wide receiver or at least co number one with uh, Wandell Robinson too. Uh, but he's got to he's got to practice, um, you know. And, and if he doesn't kind of make that uh, that leap or or eventually get there, um, you know, it's going to be kind of a it's going to be looked at as a massive failure uh, because he was you know expected to be the guy and to carry quite a heavy load this year for for Nebraska. So um, you know, it's you, you hope that he can get there and, and get it figured out. But uh, but yeah, if if none of these JUCO guys do end up contributing uh, very much this year. You, you probably you probably think that we're we're not going to see a whole lot of that in the future, and there won't be really any JUCO recruits nationally at all this year, Nate, because they're not playing football. Yeah, I mean that that's a whole other deal. Um, we can talk about that in a recruiting yeah. segment. Um, but receiver wise, uh, final thoughts here for me on that. Without Omar Manning, you're probably looking at Cade Warner, uh, Wandell Robinson, and Elante Brown as your main three. But Levi Fox up there, Marcus Fleming, Chris Hickman. Uh, Brody Belt, he's another guy to watch that's going to play. And then Xavier Betts, and then walk on Wyatt Lever. So, you know, there, there's a, it's going to be a completely different looking group across the board after Warner and after Robinson. And I think it will be a better group. So we'll, we'll see what that looks like. Guys, we're going to shift over to defense next. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, you have to number one be uh, you really on point with what you're doing and make sure that you're executing your assignments, uh, not giving them big home runs. Yeah, you you always want to keep the ball in front of you on defense and eliminate the big plays. So that's something you're going to have to do. And then well, we're going to have to do a good job of picking our shots to uh, go ahead and be aggressive and be physical with these guys. And uh, chances uh, when the chances arise to be able to go ahead and apply pressure, be able to take advantage of it. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus getting you ready for Saturday's 11 a.m. Ohio State game that can be seen on Fox. That was Nebraska's outside linebackers coach Mike Dawson. And I almost look at Dawson, guys, as almost a co-defensive coordinator. I think he's going to have a lot of 
influence on Eric Chenander. He's a former coordinator himself, and I know he was already here once, um, but I, I think his role is that much bigger now of trying to revamp that outside linebacker position. And I look at all the questions on defense right now, and to me, outside linebacker, can Caleb Tanner be the guy we thought he should be? Can JoJo Dolman play within the system, play disciplined football? Can Garrett Nelson do the same thing? Can Nick Heinrich Henrich play the outside linebacker spot and be productive? Uh, Feldarius Payne, can they get anything out of him? I mean, I just think there's so many questions. And Nico Cooper, is he a guy we'll see it all play this year at that position? And Dawson's got his work cut out for him. When JoJo Doman is your most known commodity, uh, and he's the guy that admittedly was not an every-down player last year and, and hasn't been yet, that makes this by far the biggest area of concern from just a single position group on the roster, in my opinion, uh, just because we have zero idea what this group is going to be able to bring to the table. And as we saw far too often last season, uh, the inability to not only rush the passer, but set the edge in the run game cost Nebraska in huge ways. I mean, the big chunk run plays, the uh, quarterback sitting back in the pocket and having all day to throw against the overmatched secondary. I mean, it just made for a disaster of a recipe uh, with the inconsistency and lack of production from that group. So now you're tasked with a new position coach trying to manage a bunch of unknowns and guys that, you know, we, we have no idea what they're going to be able to bring. You know, I think Jojo, you feel good about his overall talent, but can he do it every down? Can take Caleb Tanner finally take that jump and be the uh, primary pass rusher that we expect him to be? Is Nick Henrich ready uh, to take on a versatile role playing inside and out? Uh, I mean, and the fact that they're still moving guys around uh, to that position, you know, even like a couple weeks or a week before the first game shows that this is uh, still very much uh, in flux and probably something that is going to be uh, an issue for them all year long. Yeah, and that's probably my biggest worry, I guess, is is just kind of watching the, the movement, the late movement here, right, as the season is about ready to get underway when you're and you're talking about moving an inside guy to outside and, and a defensive end and Phil Darius Payne back to outside linebacker. Um, you know, that's that tells you right there that they've got a lot of question marks still and that they don't necessarily um, like how that group is, has been playing or that they're willing to try brand new things here just a couple of weeks before the season starts. Um, but, you know, my biggest questions, like you said, Robin, is, uh, you know, can Caleb Tanner be that guy that they recruited him to be? Can uh, Garrett Nelson, who we, we know he's going to play hard. Uh, I mean, that's that's a given. But he was not always in the right position last year, even though he was going a thousand miles an hour. He was not always in the right spot. So um, you know, there's, there's a lot awful lot of unknowns there. Um, you, and you'd hope that either a Phil Darius Payne or a Nico Cooper, uh, two Juco guys there could at least give you something. Nate, I want to ask you this. When you look at Ohio State's offensive talent, you know the recruiting, you know the rankings better than anybody. I mean, how scared how scared are you of that roster when you see the names on there? And they've lost a lot, but they always lose a lot, and well, they yeah. always just put out pros. That's the thing. I don't think you can ever look at Ohio State and say – and feel good that oh you know what they they lost a lot of guys they they put a, a lot of guys in the pros last year so they're going to be down I mean, that, that's not how Ohio State uh, operates I mean their their whole roster is full of four pros. and five star pros um, and, and and they understand that you know what I'm going to go there and I'm going to you know probably. 
um, you know, in most cases, sit a couple years uh, behind a couple future pros. And then when it's my turn, I'm going to play a couple years and then be a future pro. And so, um, yeah, if you're Nebraska um, and you're, you're rolling in uh, undermanned or, or have a bunch of unknowns at that outside linebacker spot uh, against the type of talent that they're going to be seeing, I mean, that's, that's a definite concern. Let's put it this way. They have a guard, Wyatt Davis, who is their starting guard right now who was voted to the Big Ten Network All-Decade team. So they have a current player <laughs> that's on the All-Decade team. That That's the Ohio State level of talent we're talking about. Yeah. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we get you ready. And Justin Fields, I mean, I'm of the camp that you really – this is a guy you're not going to just completely shut down, but can you limit the home run plays? I, I think that is really for Nebraska where it starts. I think it starts that, and then also uh, you got to contain the running game. You cannot let Ohio State get six, seven yards a pop on the ground and make life that much easier for Justin Fields. I think your only way of winning this game is making Ohio State as one-dimensional as possible and just hope that Justin gets frustrated and has a bad start to the game, make some early mistakes to where you can change the, the momentum early and just get Ohio State flustered. Easier said than done, obviously, but if you let them and, you know, Trey Sermon and all those guys just run rampant on you, which they've done more often than not against Nebraska, uh, the game's over right then and there. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think you've got to slow down the run and and maybe throw out some looks, some coverages that, that maybe Justin Fields hasn't seen out of you on film before. Um, you know, and, and make put make them as one dimensional or, or as predictable as you possibly can. There's no way you're going to completely shut down a guy like Justin Fields, uh, but you certainly can't allow him to to have a full bag of of uh, you know all of his uh, you know tools at his disposal there. Because if you do that, it's 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 going to be over in a hurry. The matchup that really worries me though going into this game, Nebraska lost three NFL 53 man roster defensive linemen. And they're going against the new guys coming in are going to be going against arguably not only the best line in the Big Ten, but maybe the best offensive line in the country. And anybody will remember last year, Ohio State just ran it right down Nebraska. Like nobody did it like that. I mean, teams ran at Nebraska, but it was a lot of sideways misdirectional. Ohio State just ran. I'll never forget that image of their center literally lifting up Muhammad Barry slamming him to the ground, and then Muhammad Barry got up again, and he threw him back to the ground. Yeah, I mean, that's why I say, like, if you can't hold your own in the trenches, this game, I mean, this game will live up to its 27-point spread. I think that's where it is now. So, I mean, like, that's – it's all on that defensive front seven to keep this thing close because if they let Justin Fields just hand the ball off and then work it second and short or whatever it may be, uh, it's – you know, there, there's no chance. And the only way that they're going to be able to hold their own is if they can disguise some blitzes, get some pressure somehow with, uh, you know, different types of pressures, but also make Ohio State have to win with Justin Fields. Don't let everybody else win the game for him. Yeah, there's there's no breaking in uh, this new defensive line for Nebraska, that's for sure. I mean, these guys, they're going to have to they're going to have to be ready to roll and, and to play at a very, very high level uh, right out of the gate. Uh, otherwise, uh, like I said earlier, otherwise <laughs> things could get pretty ugly. And your projected starters today, probably Ben Stilley, Damian Daniels, Ty Robinson. I mean, that'd, those, be, that'd be my three. And then Keem Green, Casey Rogers, and DeAndre Thomas kind of as the next three. Jordan Riley's in there too, but I think he's nursing something, so I don't know if we'll see him or where he'll be out there. But 
it's a it's a tough task for you know and we'll line, I think Ty Robinson's going to be a star in this program, uh, but pretty tough opening act for the redshirt still freshman. Still a redshirt freshman going up against you know like I said an all decade guard in Wyatt Davis. <laughs> all right, when we come back, Kevin Noon from Buckeye Grove is going to join us here on the show. He'll give his thoughts on this matchup next. You're listening here to the Oscar Line Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. This game means the world to us. I'm sure it means the world to Ohio State. So they're going to open their playbook and they're going to give us the wrinkles that they worked on in the offseason. And we got to be ready to match those when they come out. So I think I think that's the biggest the biggest difference in, in a game like this is you're, you're going to see some things you aren't ready for. And you guys have to be able to adapt and adjust and play rules football and, 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 and go play defense. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan now, as you just heard, Nebraska's defensive coordinator Eric Shenander talking about the challenge at hand, uh, almost a nightmare-type challenge for a defensive coordinator to open a season against a team as talented as Ohio State with a quarterback like Justin Fields. And here to talk more about the Buckeyes, Kevin Noon, the the publisher and owner of Buckeye Grove of the Rivals.com network. Kevin, it's been a long time coming but we finally made it, buddy. I'm looking forward to getting out to Columbus here uh, on Friday. Yeah, I never, I never thought we were going to finish the uh, cross the finish line. To be quite honest, it just uh, kept dragging and dragging and dragging, and three versions of the schedule and and, and stop downs and everything else. And you know, now we're here, and uh, you know, I'm I'm ready to see some football. Let's go. What is the buzz like out there? I mean, you talk about going into Columbus. Obviously, normally it is the toughest venue, arguably, in the country to play a game in, particularly at night. I've been there many times for night games. But what are you expecting out there? What is the town of Columbus like knowing that, you know, tens of thousands of season ticket holders won't be inside Ohio Stadium like they normally are on game day Saturdays? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and they're not allowing tailgating on campus. Campus police will be going through, kindly asking people to disperse if they attempt to. So, yeah, it's 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 a surreal scene, honestly, because I mean, this is this is one of one of the big games. This is a game that if there were home tickets on the dynamic pricing, they would be getting a premium for because it's Nebraska, because it's a blue blood. But you know, that's not going to be the case with. Less than 2,000 people, including workers, players, media, everybody, 2,000 people being in the stadium. Uh, It's going to be a a, a very different scene. It's certainly going to take away the home field advantage in terms of noise and some of the things uh, along those lines. But, you know, Ohio State still will have the familiarity of knowing their locker room and knowing their routines and everything else. So, you know, I'm not ready to say that there's zero home field advantage but it's just not the same. Yeah, for a road team like Nebraska going in there for a noon game with no fans, I mean, it's about as favorable of a setting as you're ever going to get in Ohio Stadium. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's not going to be a case of not being able to to not know your snap counts and things along those lines. The Big Ten has come out and said that uh, during run of game, you're allowed to have a a 70 decibel track of noise that's been provided by the conference that's allowed to go up to 90 decibels when, uh, you know, it's a celebratory moment. And, you know, we're not talking much louder than, you know, kind of a rusty old lawnmower at that point. So it's not it's not going to be the cheerleaders and the fans and the band and everything else along those lines. So it's it, it, it's going to be different than a lot of these games that we've watched in the run-up to this point. 
to even where they have 10, 12, 15,000 fans in attendance. I mean, this is seriously going to be that old sitcom laugh tracks type of situation. I, I'm, I'm not even really quite sure what to expect, quite honestly, outside of just kind of what I've read. Maybe they'll mix in some Kevin Warren drops in the, in the, in the game day scene in the stadium for a good laugh. Oh, Lord. Uh, you know, all that would do is just anger both sides <laughs> when you're sitting there and you're looking at two of the programs that fought the hardest to bring this uh, – this season back from uh, from life support, and you know somebody in uh, Rosemont sure has a, a funny sense of humor, to, uh, you know, putting these two teams together. I mean, quite honestly, you go back to version uh, 1.0 of the schedule, and this was already a scheduled crossover game, so it wasn't like this game materialized. But it being week one, j- just just seems to be a little funny to me. You're, you're, uh, we're talking here to Kevin Noon, the publisher of BuckeyeGrove.com. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. And let, let's talk more about this this Buckeye team, Kevin. Obviously, there's not a lot of flaws, but they did lose Chase Young. Um, so there are some questions about the, the pass rush, just when you lose a guy like that. But we know they always reload. And then the running game with J.K. Dobbins gone, and I believe you guys had an injury there as well. Um, I mean, w- what are your concerns on paper today, you know, as far as questions you have about this Buckeye team? Honestly, the two things that I would bring up would be, first of all, interior defensive line. They lost a slew of production with Robert Landers and with uh, Jay Sean Cornell and with Devon Hamilton all running out of eligibility and on to the next level. Ohio State doesn't have a lot of depth there after Haskell Garrett was involved in an off uh, off-field incident where he was actually shot in the face, but uh, he's doing just fine, but I wouldn't expect him to be ready to roll here in week one. And uh, Teron Vincent is also slowed with injury, and I'm not sure that he would be ready. So they're paper thin at that position. When you're trying to uh, go four across on your line, and yes, as you mentioned, you don't have Chase Young, but once the Bosa's left, it's always been who's the next guy up, who's the next guy up. Ohio State's next guy up is a guy named Zach Harrison, but if you're not getting that push from the interior line, there's a concern there. And then, then my other concern would be just is the secondary ready. Ohio State, for about half a moment, was looking at the, the, the possibility of not having any returning starters when Sean Wade opted out. But that was only for a course of a couple days before the announcement that the schedule was coming back. He'll be back in that premier corner position but they're replacing a um, they're replacing three defensive backs who are all in the NFL with Jordan Fuller at safety and the cornerbacks uh, Damon Arnett and uh, Jeffrey Okuda, all three players playing in the National Football League. Uh, Ohio State certainly has the talent. They certainly have the bodies, but they may be a little short on experience. So, you know, in in this year where it appears that offenses are much further ahead than defenses, Ohio State certainly has its own issues on defense as well. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk to Kevin Noon. And, you know, you said earlier how Nebraska and Ohio State were the two teams that really fought to bring Big Ten football back. I mean, what's your sense? I mean, uh, Scott Frost said this um, earlier in the week, and I imagine Buckeye fans have a similar take that, hey, you know what? Um, I'm not rooting for Nebraska against Ohio, Ohio State, but I'm going to root for them the rest of the way. And I think Nebraska fans are similar with the Buckeyes. They've almost become allies and mutual aligned political friends uh, throughout this entire process. And it'll be kind of fun to see the seasons play out. Absolutely. I think that's a very true statement. And I think for three and a half hours on Saturday, you're going to see that uh, 
that uh, thin alliance uh, disappear as uh, obviously Nebraska wants to come in here and upset the heavily favored Buckeyes and the Buckeyes with national championship uh, aspirations on their mind are, you know, they, there are not a lot of games out there to, 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 to dilly dally around with. Uh, I think fans are going to want to see the Buckeyes put 50 or 60 points up if possible. But then again, that's the goal all the time. But as soon as the final gun sounds and the clock reads uh, triple zeros, I definitely think you're going to see a lot of Ohio State fans who are going to be pulling for Nebraska throughout the course of the season. And, you know, if we get to a point where we have a Big Ten championship game and these two teams were to meet again, I think you'd see a couple of Ohio State fans out there willing to buy a beer or two for Nebraska fans out there at Kilroy's or somewhere in Indianapolis. Yeah, and uh, bars, by the way, in Columbus, not that we'll be going to bars, but you guys are in a pretty strict shutdown there still, like 10 o'clock closures of bars. And, you know, it, it's what is like the COVID scene in Columbus these days? Yeah, I believe, and I'm an old man, so I don't go out as much as I used to. Or well, I'm married, so I don't go out as much as I used to. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I believe it's 10 o'clock last call, get the heck out of here at 11. So with Ohio State's Week 2 game at Penn State being a 7.30 Eastern start, uh, that does not bode well uh, when that game is going to be in the fourth quarter and they're saying you can't order any more drinks. So, yeah, I mean, Ohio certainly does have some uh, – restrictions in place in terms of uh, adult beverage establishments but you know just got to kind of you know fight your way through it I guess yeah it's going to be an interesting case study all the way across the Big Ten at places like State College or Pennsylvania and and our in Michigan and Nebraska and Iowa you know places where they're big venues of 70 to 100 plus thousand fans that fill these places that you know what are these fans going to be doing in you know, how will, you know, with COVID and the restrictions out there, I'll be curious kind of to see how this opening weekend goes. Yeah, I have, a, I have a several friends who are bar and restaurant owners in town, and we've talked at length about this first week being really an interesting test to kind of see how things go down. I mean, obviously, week two is going to be different with it being a night game, but you have to figure most of the schedule is we're in October, November, December is going to be in that 12 and 330 Eastern windows just to kind of see how things are consumed at that point to see if people people do go out, if people go out in large groups and then end up summarily having that broken up by health officials, how all of that's going to work. Uh, you know, I know I'm going to be interested in it, but, you know, thankfully I'm going to be at Ohio Stadium from uh, 10 a.m. to probably about 4 p.m. on Saturday, and I'll, I'll, I'll check into all of that after after we're done putting our final words on paper for uh from this game well kevin i'm looking forward to getting out there um be my first time on a plane since january going out to columbus but i know we're going to get to dinner uh get together for dinner friday night so i'm looking forward to getting a chance to see you and and getting out and watching a big 10 college football game absolutely looking forward to it all right much more to come here on the husker online show we'll close things out with nate klaus you're listening here to the husker online show This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I mean, he's just grown as um, understanding the offense, understanding what he needs to do, and then just being more confident in uh, what he needs to do. Because, I mean, he has all the tools and all the, uh, everything you need to get the job done. And, I mean, especially being a young guy, you just kind of got to build that confidence up and understand that you're there for a reason, you've earned that spot, and then just kind of prove, prove to everyone, prove to yourself that you've earned that spot and that's your spot. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show. That is fifth-year senior offensive lineman Matt Farniak talking about 
Bryce Benhard, a redshirt freshman who will start at right tackle for Nebraska, the former starting position of Farniak, who's now playing right next to him at right guard. And we're going to start off talking recruiting here with Nate Klaus, an offensive lineman. But, Nate, you're one of the few people in this state that has even seen Bryce Benhart play a football game in person. Um, you've seen Matt Farniak play as well many, many times. What are you expecting to see from Bryce Benhart in his first true Division One start? Well, I'm expecting to see a, just a big, talented athlete. I mean, he's a, he's a mountain of a man. Uh, he's 6'9", 330 pounds. Uh, but still looks like he could probably carry you know, 20, 30 pounds pretty easily. Uh, but when I was able to watch him in person at the, at the All-American Bowl against some of the top players in the country, uh, it was just how big of an athlete he really is. Um, you know, the first time someone says, yeah, this offensive tackle is 6'9", 300 pounds, you're going, okay, this is, this is going to be somebody who's not very coordinated, doesn't bend very well. Um, who's kind of, you know, slow, slow foot, footed guy. Uh, but that's not the case with Ben Hart. I mean, um, I mean, he's a wrestler. Uh, he was a gymnast as a kid growing up. His dad, his dad put him in gymnastics when he was like three years old. And so, um, I mean, this is a guy who's got great balance and I think has finally started to grow into his body. And is that a point now where Nebraska feels comfortable rolling him out there as a starting right tackle? And I think really, really improves that offensive line, the, at least the, the look of it. And Nate, stick on that subject of offensive line you and Greg Peterson made the long journey into would it be southeast or north north northeast Iowa or southeast, South, southeast southeast you were down all the way in Mount Pleasant yeah Mount Pleasant which is it's like 40 40 miles south of Iowa City basically um you know to, to watch Henry Latovsky and boy, I came away. I mean, I could not be more, more, more impressed with what I saw out of Henry Latovsky. Um, this is somebody who's completely transformed his body from the end of his sophomore year. Um, he's, I mean, he's a legit 6'6", 320 pounds. He doesn't have a gut hanging over, hit over his belt or anything like that. I mean, he's, he's a full-grown man right now, and, and he dominated from the first snap of the game until the last snap. Um, and he's downright nasty uh, on the field. I mean, he's putting kids on their back, um, kind of grinding them into the dirt, and then um, you know, and then laughing about it, basically, yeah, which was a lot of fun to watch, uh, unless you were lining up against him personally. So, um, you know, I, I think that uh, you know, Nebraska got a steal here. Uh, this is somebody who. I think after his sophomore year, went to camp at Iowa, and and you know the the Hawkeyes coaches were, um, you know, not not very complimentary of him, and and uh, you know I think they can kind of continue to recruit him, but I think after that experience, Henry was very open to to other schools and. Um, you know, Eric Chenander, Nebraska, Greg Austin, they, they kind of entered the picture and uh, they got his commitment and, and he's just continued to get better and better and better. I think, uh, I think Nebraska's got a steal here for sure. Nate, he strikes me as one of those guys and we've watched our nine years covering the Big Ten. We've seen a lot of Iowa and a lot of Wisconsin <laughs> offensive linemen and you always walk away like, man. I remember when Nebraska used to yeah. get linemen like that, and it looks like they got one of those guys here in Latovsky. There's no doubt about it. I mean, they, they definitely got one of those guys in Latovsky. And, I mean, the thing about it, too, is he's an early graduate. Um, like, I, like I mentioned, he's 6'6", 320 already. So he's not someone who's going to come into the program that needs to, to drop 50 pounds of bad weight or that needs to add 50 pounds of bad weight. He's coming in who, I mean, I mean obviously everyone's going to have an adjustment. He's got to get stronger, but he, he squats like 630 pounds 
pounds already. He benches like almost 400 pounds. Um, so, I mean, he's, he's strong. Um, and I think he's going to make that transition very well. Um, but he's just a big square bodied guy that's going to be uh, a road grader down the road. Uh, he's going to move from right tackle into guard, I think, uh, once he gets to Nebraska. But he's athletic enough. He could he could play center if he really wanted to, uh, according to his coach. So, um, you know, and his coach is kind of sad to see him go because he thought that he had a great chance of not only winning uh, the, the state shot put this year, but maybe breaking a lot of all-time records. He was screwing around the other day uh, after football practice and, and uh, you know, threw the shot over 61 feet, just uh, kind of half, kind of <laughs> just playing around. So his coach was kind of sad to see him. Wow. Go. Yeah. That's some explosion. Yeah. Yeah, the offensive line appears to be well on its way. Now, Nate, Nebraska – at about uh, pushing 20 commits here for 2021, five from Nebraska, three from Iowa, uh, one from South Dakota, a lot of local guys. How do you see this finishing out? I mean, wh- I mean, do you see anything moving here in the in the coming days, weeks? I mean, where do you see this class at? And do you get the sense that all 19 of these guys are going to sign in December? Yeah, I think the large majority of the current commitments are going to sign in December. And not only are they going to sign in December, but a um, large majority of them are going to be enrolling and being they're going to be on campus uh, in January. So, um, you know, I, I, as far as how the class is going to, to kind of wrap up here, I think it's anybody's guess right now. There's there's a lot of guys who are very interested, who are kind of on the fence uh, as far as, you know, the timeline of making a decision or or who they're going to commit to. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, some of these guys are, I think, wanting to, to wait it out and see if there's a chance they might be able to take official visits after, um, after the new year. Uh, but I, I don't highly, I highly doubt that that happens. Um, you know, so, but it could be one of another, one of those deals where if there's another commitment or two that, that falls Nebraska's way, then all of a sudden there's going to be a handful of guys that are faced with the, the decision to make it. Hey, do I jump on this Nebraska offer or do I roll the dice and, and continue to wait uh, knowing that, you know, that spot may not be there once January rolls around. There's going to be a lot of schools, Nate, that either got bust or like lower profile schools that have maybe stolen a guy that should be in the power five. And unfortunately, the one-time transfer rule is going to probably clean a lot of that yeah. up. Because if a guy's too good to be in the MAC or somewhere like the Sun Belt, they're going to be up in the bigger league soon, and vice versa. If you're not able to play at Nebraska or a lo- bigger program, you'll probably be out of there pretty soon. Absolutely, yeah. There's going to be a lot of local steals initially until until other you know until they figure out, hey, I'm way better than than where I'm at. Um, but there's also one thing that we've seen, and, and uh, you know, Arizona State is a prime example of this. I, I think they took some commitments earlier on in the process, and now there's as the Marcus school, Mebo, yeah, as the uh, the high school season has kind of progressed, or or how their how their recruiting classes kind of come together, they've dropped um, some some guys, and um, you know, and, and you don't drop somebody unless you think that you can go out and get somebody better. So um, there's, there's some, some newer faces that are back out on the market, including Marcus and Bo, uh, who's an offensive lineman out of Wisconsin. I don't think Nebraska is really in the market uh, for another offensive lineman, but, uh, but he's, a, he's a good player. So I'm, I'm not sure who Arizona State thinks they're going to get that's better than him. But, um, but there was, I mean, that's, that's a common thing that's starting to, to kind of crop up across the recruiting landscape as well. And you're not going to see as many academic issues anymore this year because the standardized testing has been waived, right? Yep. So yep. it's going to be core GPA, which you can get in with like a 2-2 two, two or 2-3, two, I, be, I believe. 
Yeah, I, th- it's a, I think it's a 2-3 core GPA. 2-3 so. GPA, no test score. Yep. I mean, yep. pretty freaking manageable. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, if, if, you don't, if you don't qualify academically in this year, then um, I'm not sure what you or, or your coaches or your counselors have really been doing for you for the last few years. Now, Coach Jones's weight room class doesn't count on that core, unfortunately. No. I mean, it, it's cores like your math, English, science, yeah, but still very doable especially if you know that kid in your school is on the track to go Division One, yep. There's going to be a lot of people working on these kids. But lots to follow. I know you're going to be out watching Seth Malcolm play an eight-man game in Tabor, Iowa uh, for Fremont Mills. We'll have Blake Arney out at Kearney Catholic as well. So not only will I be in Columbus, Robin and I will be covering the game here uh, this weekend. Uh, Nebraska, Ohio State, Nate, and the recruiting team will be out as well. So lots to log on to. It is Football time again in the state of Nebraska, and we are so excited. Make sure you uh, log on and check out HuskerOnline.com. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.